This week, guys, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we've decided that we're going to cover um, an important topic in men's mental health. Yeah. And uh, this episode might not necessarily be for everyone, uh, as it's going to be a little bit more serious than usual. So we won't be offended if you skip this episode and join us on the next one next week. Hi, I'm Matt. I'm a 30-something, and I'm learning how to be a dad. And I'm Dan. I'm also a 30-something, and I consider myself to be an Obi-Wan Kenobi, because I've got a couple of kids. Hi guys, and thanks for joining us again for another episode of Romans and Dad Men. As you just heard in the opener there, we're going to be talking something a little bit different this week. Uh, there's none of the usual stuff. We're going to cut all of that out this week. We'll bring all of that fun stuff back next week. Uh, but this week, yeah, we did, we did want to address something that's quite a serious topic. It's that's, that's men's mental health. Obviously, women's mental health matters as well. So, you know, a lot of the topics that we'll cover today will cover both men and women. But being a man, we wanted to focus a little bit more on things from our side as well yeah I, I think it's such an important discussion to be to be had and you know we're not we're not experts in the field we're not we're not doctors we're not psychologists what we are is two people going through a, a journey of adulthood which may be difficult at times and it's difficult for men to maybe show the feelings or there is those still stigmas social norms people might be embarrassed and the whole point of th- this podcast is that we said that we would be honest throughout and try and tell as real as a story as we can but also kind of show that everybody has hard times and if this can help one other person then this has been all all worthwhile definitely couldn't agree more with that yeah I wanted to do this justice. I wanted to do a lot of research on this topic and bring some facts and and figures and things like that. But going through a lot of this, you do realise that whether you knowingly or unknowingly have actually been affected by a lot of these things. Personally, when I think of men's mental health, you always centre around like suicide. I mean, that is a big part of it for for all mental health, really. But there are other mental health disorders, things like depression, anxiety, panic disorders and OCD. I think what's really important, especially when you, you mention anxiety and panic disorders, how things can creep up on you. That anxiety, that little niggling in your head can suddenly resort to being bed bound for days and not eating and not sleeping and having you know night sweats and panic attacks and it all could just how something to somebody else could be trivial don't worry about it but how you internalize that yourself can can become so massive yeah yeah it's not like a, a traditional illness. When you think of an illness, it's something you can physically see and you can go to a doctor and say, right, look, I've got this cut here and it's infected. Can you give me something for it? With a mental illness, that you, you genuinely, you can't see it. That's probably why it creeps up on a lot of people because you don't see the markers. And I've gone through like that, the, the little eureka moment with a lot of these where I've read something online and, and then I've stopped and thought, actually, no, shit. That that is what I do. Yeah. Perhaps I am actually suffering with depression or anxiety or exhaustion, for example, yeah. mental exhaustion. You don't realise you've got it. You don't realise you're burnt out 
until you actually read through the symptoms of being burned out. Yeah, yeah. And it's being demotivated, being genuinely tired, losing interest in things that used to you used to be interested in. And no, I can, I can absolutely relate to that. Just just to pick up on a point that you that you said earlier on about um, people not being able to see it. I think it's it's not just the fact that people can't see it. You may be portraying something difficult and something completely different, but you may not project that to other people as well. The biggest example I can think of is the Chester Bennington photo where he's smiling a day before his death, you know, and he looks like happy. He's got all his family around him. And it just kind of shows the internal versus the external. You know, making it relevant, wholly relevant to the podcast. Everyone does that to their kids. If you're going through pain, if you're going through anxiety, you're not going to show that to your kids. You're going to hide that from them. You're going to, if you're really upset about something, that I don't know, you've just lost your job, you're not going to go and tell your kid you've lost your job. You're going to you know, wait for them to come home and, and ask how their day has been and you play with them and you know, act as normal. That is putting on a mask for your kids. I think we're all conditioned to do that, rightly yeah. or wrongly so. It goes back to the old old thing that we've we've talked about in a in a couple of episodes back about how there is still a social convention that men should just put on a brave face and and get on with things. Of course, we live in a different world now. We live in a world where we're exposed to so much kind of information on a daily basis, and we can never get away for, for, from it. Becky and I have tried to do a thing, and I'll be honest, we're not we're not doing very well at it in terms of in terms of this. But um, we have tried to have a no phone Sunday, just to try and like get away from all the shit that's going on. I think what's also important to to realise is when you mentioned about burnout and brain fog, I experienced burnout last year. To to be honest, I wasn't in a very good place in some points last year, and I ended up seeing a counsellor, and um, it was a counsellor that said to me i had i had burnout i didn't realize it myself you don't i suffered from it about 18 months ago and i was talking with uh, somebody who i work with you know they'd gone through a serious illness and they'd actually had physical you know proper checks and someone had highlighted it to them and she actually noticed the signs in me and said actually no dan i think you're suffering from burnout she pointed me to an nhs test and she actually said to me like do it now be open and honest with your answers nobody's ever going to see it and then do it again in a month's time when you've forgotten how you answered it and compare the two results because it gives you a score you do see like a downward spiral right you know how your life is becoming sort of consumed and swallowed up by stuff and how demotivated you are the hardest the biggest challenge is identifying that you have yeah you are suffering with something and then accepting it and then dealing with it yeah I can pinpoint the fact when I thought, hang on, this is this is now a problem. And, and again, it was when I was at work, I was at a, an office. I was prepping for this meeting and I was sat on my desk. I just couldn't move. Like I, I was faced away from my laptop and I was like, I don't want to look at my laptop. I don't want to look at, I just want to be here in silence and I don't want to do anything. I could feel myself not being able to concentrate. I could feel myself half thinking that I just wanted to go home and go to bed. But I also didn't really know why. And I was probably there for about an, an hour and 45 minutes, maybe. And I knew that there was something wrong with me, but I couldn't do anything about it. It's, it is scary. You know, I mentioned at the beginning, that, like things like panic attacks and, and anxieties, and especially the burnout. I think that's become more prevalent over the last two years. A lot of people have got a lot of anxiety because there's been a lot of fear and whatnot in the news. 
you're constantly hearing the same thing over and over again. You, you're constantly going to think that thing that way. It takes 21 days to learn a behavior. Mm. There's got to be something in that where you know, if you hear a certain train of thought, a certain topic or something, whatever, you know, consistently over time, that's going to train your brain to think that way. We've all been conditioned over the last two years that people are bad, <laughs> you know, and for good reason. Working from home, the boundaries have been blurred up for a lot of people. People have worked longer hours because of home offices, because of remote working. It does bleed into extended hours. I mean, I work from home at the minute. And t- t- to be honest, I like working from home. It, it's really good f- for me. However, I do do notice that I, I won't switch off my la- laptop. And I'll, you know, if I quickly go into the kitchen, I'll just log on to my emails and see what's been happening. Or, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm just picking up some very minor negative traits i could imagine but i can see how you mean that if your own environment is your workspace as well it's very hard to differentiate from the two isn't it i used to think it needed a very niche mindset so i used to work from home a long time ago a couple of jobs back and that first three months almost killed me i'd always always worked in offices in a busy environment had that banter you know it set hours and it was structured but then you start working from home and you've got flexibility over your own diary all of a sudden you don't have to start at nine o'clock and I found myself being a bit more flexible with that so I got a great work-life balance but the first three months to actually motivate myself to work was so hard and the thing that killed me was the silence and the only thing that actually got me through that and they got me adapted to to working from home was having some form of background noise why I got working and then before you knew it, I got into the habit of it and now I'm fortunate enough the last two years have worked remotely and I love it now I'm so grateful for for that because it's given me that life balance back again where I get to yeah. see the family more but only reason it's worked this time around for me is because I've been able to dedicate a space to it but that allows me to then sort of end of the day shut the door and work is in that room yeah no that's a really good really good point but it wasn't actually until Christmas just gone that somebody else pointed it to me because I found that I'd I'd do that and then I'd, as you've just said, then carry on on my phone. And there was one of the guys who, who works with me now, he actually said that he goes for a walk, a 30-minute walk. He said the biggest thing that he misses from being in an office is that drive home. Yeah. And although everyone used to hate that, he said he used to use that 30 to 45 minutes sat in traffic to decompress. And I kind of get that to a point. I do get that. That does you give you, I, I don't know, if you want to scream in the car, singing at your top of your lungs, <laughs> or you want to listen to a talk sport conversation. Or yeah. So I so I get that that that's a release of of some point. And I also get the whole point about you yeah, working on your phone. And in my last job, you know, I, I was there for many many years and I loved it. But there was that kind of sense that you just never turned off from it. It would be fine to receive emails at eight, nine o'clock at night. That would just be the normal. But not that I would say that the expectation was there that you'd have to reply for it. But there was always that expectation that it was high priority. And if other people did it, you felt you felt shit. You felt shit if you didn't reply back at that time. And, you know, sometimes you did and sometimes you didn't. And sometimes you would get phone calls at 10, 11 o'clock at night. And, and to be fair, if you was on call, that was part of the duties. For me personally, you got too much, and I can see why other people in similar stores do get burned out. It is easy to get burnt yeah. out, unfortunately. Yeah. One of the big things that I've 
suffered with over the last, what, 15 years. And it's a big topic, it's depression. Personally, I see that as I will always have that in some way, shape or form. Depression is one of those weird things that you can very easily slip into. It's such a hard thing to get out of. And once you do, it's great, but it's very easy to slip back into those ways again. I think Stephen Fry explained it perfectly for me. And the way that I view depression and the way that he explained it, I think just sums it up really well. It's like he describes depression as the weather. You can't change it. You can't change when it's going to happen. So, like, for example, I may sometimes wake up and I feel, like, really down. Mm. I can't help it. I don't understand why. There is no reason to be feeling down, but you just are. And I I don't know, did you have that kind of situation or was that more of a a progression for you? Yeah, I think I've at certain times rapidly accelerated into that. And again, I think for me, that's when I put the biggest mask on. It does take you down very, very dark holes of of thoughts. And the only way out of that is to find something to focus on. Not everyone makes it out of that and it can eat away. And, you know, with work, for example, I'm driving there, I'm praying for traffic, I'm praying for, you know, reasons to not go into work and then getting there and you just, you know, then the anxiety kicks in. And just something simple can change your day and make it nicer and easier, but it can very easily eat away at a person. And yeah. before you know it, you're, you're left almost as a shell. You know, it could eat away at the most confident of people. I guess on the other side of that as well is that you're expected to be that provider as well. So you you may be in a job that you absolutely hate, but on the other side of it is that you have to provide for your family as well. And that's the driving force that gets you out of bed and, and does that. However, sometimes you don't put yourself first. Is that fair? Yeah. I think for me, the biggest motivator is definitely the kids. Bex always been my rock and, like she's been the one person that I've been able to truly open up to, other than you, obviously. Yeah. Nothing's ever off the table with me and you. And yeah. That's for me one of the most powerful things of our relationship. And it's probably stuff that we don't say to each other. We just assume and expect it and yeah. take it for granted of each other. Um, and I think if we were sat next to each other right now, we'd be cuddling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we do. Yeah. But. Outside of the bounds of this podcast, Beck has definitely been, for me, like this person that I can just completely open up and demask and be open and honest and say what I really think and feel. She makes me feel that comfortable, like I can open up and have those conversations with her. And for, that was part of the battle for me. You know, I had two, two motivators. One was being able to talk to her about it. But the other one was focusing on the kids. And, you know, when I went down the darkest of tunnels, the light that, that took me out of those from doing something silly was very much just focusing on, you know, the kids, the age they're at now. You know, the thoughts just go through your head of, well, I'm never going to see them grow up. I'm never going to see them do the first, you know, the driving test, uh, walk them down the aisle or they're anything yeah. like that. And it's something to focus on. Really. Yeah. We briefly mentioned in a, in a in a previous episode about um, how something happened that affected us. One of our friends took his own life, like mm. a a close friend, uh, the closest of friends. I, I'm, I mean, I think it would be fair to say that as a group of four, we were pretty much inseparable throughout school and and college and uh, and what have you. Mm. And that all affected us in different ways. And you know, it still affects me now. 
I'm I'm sure it still affects you and and the other person I'm absolutely positive that it would still affect him now. So having known how that affects us, did that have any? Yeah, I think certain things yeah. help you grow up. That happened to us at a very very young age. There's all sorts of stats that surround it, and men are three times more likely to die by suicide. And under the age of 35, suicide is the most likely thing that will kill a person. I think for for us, that affected us in a different way and maybe gave us some of those other mental health problems. It's hard to say retrospectively, like, how would I react now? Would I react differently if it was if it happened now today? I think it would be different because I feel we'd have almost 18 years of extra memories together. And I think that would probably be harder. Obviously, we're far more, I say we're far more, this podcast proved we're not far more mature. (laughs) But I like to think we're a bit more emotionally mature than we were aged 18. Yeah. We were at that stage in our lives very much conditioned, as you've said, that you've got to put on a stern face, you've got to act in a certain way. I think that made us grow up a bit quicker than we needed to yeah well through through that that age group and and, and i've mentioned that i had a I had a massive chip in my shoulder i i thought that the world owed me something because of that um and maybe i was very immature about that but i just i, I kind of went off the rails in fact i did go off the rails for a little bit i lost contact with everybody that i knew it's almost like running away from it no it, no it was but that, again, that comes with that emotional maturity. Not everyone that is expected to be emotionally mature at 18. That, that's probably where I was getting at with it, it would have affected us differently that age than what it would now. Yeah. You know, it probably affected a lot of other people that he knew as well. Yeah. In, in again, in different ways. I feel like this ownership to him, because we spent so much of uh, formative years together, and this was the emotional maturity. I got almost a bit offended that other people were mourning him. Everyone deals with it differently. Yeah. It's almost like he became a story rather than a person. And I mm. think a lot of people were there. But I think people were there with good intentions looking back on it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. For me, that actually did, knowingly or unknowingly, take me down some dark tunnels of thought. And oddly enough, he, he actually got me out of a lot of them. When I was even younger and in those formative years, as I'm sure he probably did for you as well. Yeah. And I think that was part of the biggest loss for me. I think it's, it, it's family as a whole helped me. After uni, I went to live there. That was after he, he'd gone. I think it made us grow up quicker. And then obviously you grew up a bit more quicker, I guess. I almost used that as a mask. I never processed those emotions. Is that to do with the fact that you had to hide them to grow up, to become a parent? Did you just kind of internalise it and just get on with it, I guess? The the latter. It was something that had happened, but I sort of almost didn't have time to stop and think about it, or maybe I didn't want to stop and think about it. And for a good period of time, I just forced myself not to. And I I think being a parent changes your perception a lot of it as well. But I still go through some of these thoughts and feelings and emotions, and, and I do put that mask up. Maybe I shouldn't, but I don't want them to see me down. I don't want them to see me feeling really shit when I have no motivation and I don't want to do anything. I think from a child's perspective, they they look up to you and they dote on you and they think as you as a magician 
and dad is is the best thing and that they they can come to you with anything and they expect you to be strong not because there's any expectations from them just because you are there you are their superhero mm-hmm. and i guess it's a lot about how you don't want to let them down maybe if they saw you upset would make would, would get them upset yeah, Robin isn't at that age at the minute, so she doesn't doesn't see this. But you know, Flossie gets it, and there's there's times that I've been upset with Flossie, and she's she's definitely seen me in a in a different light. And you always w- want to ensure that you are having the best for them. Yeah, and that you don't want them to see any difference. If they saw you in a weaker position, that could mean something else, maybe. And I don't know. I'm trying to internalize this. You're saying that out loud, then it just made me think of a topic we covered a couple of weeks ago. Like, is that then lawnmower parenting almost? Is that then protecting them, wrapping them in cotton wool, protecting them from society, from the reality of life that everyone does have anxiety in some way, shape, or form? Just no one talks about it. You know, OCD is another big one that it doesn't seem like a lot, but affects between one and three percent of adults. Yeah. I've got little things that I do that linear schemas and things like that. I like things to line up. And if it's not, it really pisses me off. Little things like that. And it just can't get over. Locking doors is, is the one for me. I have to check about four or five times. <laughs> I always walk back to the car and check every single door, even though I know it's on central locking. My granddad used to do the same thing as well. And he used to do it two or three times. I will lock the, do- the front door and I'll drive off the drive. And as I'm just about to set off, I'll stop and I go, have I actually locked the door? I, I do that. On a couple of occasions, we've been going out when we've been late, and I'm like, no, I need to go and check the door. But if Maybe you don't do it, you'll start internalising, you think, oh, what, what do I do? And yeah. I, I, I do it all the time. I think it is really important that it's all well and good trying to protect other people from, from the big bad world, but you really do need to look after number one as well and however that may work for you and one thing might not be necessarily the same for another person and you know you may have to do two or three um, attempts at something before you finally realize what's good for you but I think it is really important that you find out for me it was um, triggered by speaking to Becky after speaking to Becky for a little bit I then spoke to a work colleague and you know, I, I I realized that there were people that that were here and, and were looking out for you. And what I learned last year is that people do value you, not as and that it's not it. Well, what's the saying? It's okay to not be okay. There were times last year that I collapsed onto the floor in in some horrible horrible states, and sometimes there was no real reason reason for them. It's just the way that I felt. We, we decided that counseling was a good option uh, and that did work to, to to some point but that to be open with people worked to me and, and and to be honest and say look i've I, i'm i'm not having a great time this is what i need to do and um, there was a few things that i changed a couple of things was probably due to me not struggling to terms with being a father because i've absolutely loved the idea like i was so excited but becoming that idea of what kind of dad am I going to be? Am I going to be good enough for her? Am I going to be able to provide for her? Is she is she going to like me? I mean, that was that was genuinely one of the one of the things. And like, so I guess you could say that I struggled with that. But after I started talking to people and being more honest and open about, although I will be honest, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't completely honest with everyone. But I think it's a a journey that that you go on. And, you know, you have to be more 
truthful to yourself, I guess, when you're going yeah. through a, a bad time. And I think that's the most important thing about being honest with yourself. You've just touched on something there. I mean, you don't have to be open and honest. You don't have to tell everyone everything. Yeah. By all means, if you want to, then great. But usually if you're in that dark place, just having that very first conversation is the hardest thing. But let that escalate. Let it snowball into something bigger and better. Just just have a conversation with a friend. Genuinely, just talking to Beck, opening up, and just her just not even talking back, just sitting and listening, yeah. saying things out loud, for me, meant the absolute world. And it probably would for everybody else, but you don't realise that until you've actually done it. You don't need to go and tell your boss everything. You don't need to go and tell... You don't need to go to the nth degree and go and see a counsellor straight out of the bat. Talk to someone you're close to is probably my bit of advice. Spreading this out, if you don't feel like you can talk to anyone close to you, you feel a little bit embarrassed, talk to a stranger. Talk to to your doctor. Talk to somebody you're never going to see again. Exactly, yeah. Sometimes that's easier. You you know, if, if, if you are feeling a little bit anxious to speak to someone that you know maybe try speaking to the doctor as a first step doctors are paid to listen to you and and give you the right direction so whatever works for you just let people know or worst case find us on one of the social medias and just start chatting to us yeah chances are you'll never see us in tesco because i don't shop at tesco if anyone does feel like they want to speak to us via the socials please get in touch like if you've got like a story to to share or if there's anything that you want to discuss with as as we've discussed we're not we're not experts but you know we have lived a life yeah we're good at listening yeah don't be afraid reach out to us we'll probably get a swath of inbox messages now and and i'll be up until silly o'clock replying to people (laughs) but yeah worthy calls yeah absolutely we'll put some links in in this week's description i think i think that's that's a good idea i think this is a a subject which is quite close to our hearts and and something that we can talk about all day but i think it's best that we'll leave this there and maybe we'll pick up on one or two little topics next week but we'll we'll certainly try to make it a bit more light-hearted like i say i hope this helped you i hope this helped somebody please get in touch with us if you if, if you feel like we can help in any way even if it's just a little chat but we'll um we'll see you next week Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. See you next week.